Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God. For you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In his novel, A Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens tells the story of Sidney Carton, a London lawyer who struggles with alcoholism and loneliness and depression. His life seems devoid of meaning and purpose until he meets the young Lucy Manette. Along with her father, Dr. Alexander Manette, Lucy has sought asylum in England from the terrors of the French Revolution. Carden falls deeply in love with Lucy the moment he sees her, but he fears he has no hope that she could ever return his affections. When Lucy does marry, she weds Charles Darnay, the nephew of a French aristocrat who has also sought solace in England from the violence tearing apart his country. Darnay and Carton look so much alike it's uncanny, but Darnay has escaped the struggles that plague Carlton. Sidney rejoices in Lucy's happiness, even as he laments his own continued struggles with loneliness. He does, though, make a vow to Lucy that he will embrace any sacrifice for her and for those dear to her. It isn't long before Carlton has an opportunity to fulfill the vow he made to Lucy. Charles Denet is called home to France, to a France in turmoil, to inherit his uncle's title and property. And while there, he is denounced by those who hated his uncle and imprisoned in the infamous La Forge Parisienne in Paris. It soon becomes apparent that no matter what efforts are extended on his behalf, Charles Darnay is destined for the guillotine, that horrific instrument of execution that became an emblem of the French Revolution. Lucy is beside herself with worry, not only for herself, but also for the young daughter she shares with Darnay and for her aging father. When it becomes clear that Lucy is in danger, Sidney Carton steps forward with a plan to save not only Lucy, but Charles Darnay as well. Carton manages to sneak into the prison and to have Darnay whisked out under the cover of darkness. And having taken Darnay's place, Carton decides to offer his life in place of Darnay's, assuring that Lucy and her family can escape to safety in England. As he prepares to meet his end, Sidney Carton offers these powerful words of hope in the face of despair. I see a beautiful city and a brilliant people rising from the abyss. I see the lives for which I lay down my life peaceful, useful, prosperous, and happy. I see that I hold a sanctuary in their hearts and in the hearts of their descendants generations hence. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done, and it is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. For some of us, perhaps those words evoke the horrors of torment in high school English classes, while for others they may inspire us with the beauty of the English language. The story of Sidney Carton helps us to understand the power of the love Jesus extols in today's reading from the Gospel of John. 
in our modern age of sentimentality where love is reduced to an eye-fluttering, queasy, stomach-inducing, fleeting emotion, Sidney Carton reminds us of a love that Jesus embodied, that love to which Jesus calls us. It's a love that goes beyond mere words to concrete actions. Today's reading comes in the middle of an extended section of John's Gospel in which Jesus is gathered with the disciples in Jerusalem just before the Passover. As they are sharing that meal together, Jesus stands and stoops and washes the disciples' feet. John tells us that Jesus did this as an act of love, one that sets the stage for what is to come. Humility, Jesus argues, is essential to the work of God in this world. When he is finished washing their feet, Jesus pleads with the disciples not once, not twice, not even three times, but at least eight times that they are to love one another. It seems a bit much, no? Is there something we're missing or are the disciples just that dense? What we so often miss about these words of Jesus is their context. These are the last moments Jesus is spending with the disciples. He knows what is about to happen. Jesus will be arrested. And from that point forward, the disciples will be on their own. He spent three years with them, teaching them to reject hatred and violence in the world and to put the needs of others ahead of their own, to give their lives for the cause of transforming the world through love. The question that he now faces, perhaps the one that makes him so nervous, is, has it been enough? Do they really understand? Over and over again, Jesus offers gentle yet persistent ways to reiterate this command. Love one another. These are not just simple words to remind the disciples to be nice to each other. This is a clarion call to stand against all that they must face as they continue the work of Jesus. Jesus speaks to them about his love for them and reminds them that he has loved them with the same love that God has given him. His love for them has taken him to this moment when he is ready to hand himself over to the religious and political authorities of the day to avoid any bloodshed but his own. It's a love that willingly surrendered the well-being of self for the sake of others, a love that changes the way one looks at the world. No longer is the world divided into us versus them. Instead, it is filled with the beloved children of God who have been elevated from servants to friends. Friendship is another term that falls on cynical ears in our culture. In a world where we can add or remove a friend with the click of a mouse or the tap of a screen, the idea that friendship is eternal and unbreakable is difficult to imagine, but that's exactly what it meant in Jesus' day and time. Friendship was the highest form of connection one could experience with another human being, even greater than the ties that bound one to family or spouse, even greater than romantic love. To name one as a friend was to place one's 
another's well-being ahead of one's own. When Jesus speaks of the disciples here as friends, he is doing what theologian James Allison has called the fraternal relocation of God. God has ceased to be the one who is over and beyond us and has become the one who is with us and beside us. But why is any of this important? We cannot forget that these are Jesus' parting words to the disciples. These are his last attempt to impress upon them the importance of what they have been called to do. If they are to meet the backlash of hatred and violence against them, that Jesus knows is coming because of what he said and done, then they must understand that their strength comes from each other, not just from each other, but from the one who is revealed in them, through them, and among them, the one who binds them together. Right after he finishes commanding the disciples to love one another, Jesus warns the disciples that they must face a world that hates them because it also hated him. He has dared to question the status quo, to challenge the elite, to cross the lines that divided clean from unclean, acceptable from unacceptable. Jesus has dared to paint a picture of a different world, one where each and every human being is respected and honored, where the bounty of creation is freely shared by all. His words and deeds have threatened those who thought themselves safely insulated by their power and their position and their privilege and their prosperity. Like most who feel threatened, they will strike back to preserve their place. Jesus' words then come as a warning to the disciples and also as a reminder. No matter what the world does, no matter how difficult or unbearable life becomes, they are not to resort to the ways of the world. Rather, they are to cling all the more tightly to one another and find their strength in the community of fellow disciples. The warning is followed by a promise, the promise of the coming Holy Spirit who will give strength and courage to the body of believers whose presence will enable them to endure all the struggles that come. The Spirit, Jesus goes on to say later in these intimate words with the disciples, will not only endow them with strength to face what is to come, the Spirit will bless them with joy. It may seem odd to speak of joy in the midst of suffering, but Jesus knows that the disciples cling to that vision of the world made whole. They know that the inescapable destiny of the world is healing and wholeness and reconciliation. That vision cannot be shaken because they've seen its reality living in Jesus. Those words of Sidney Carton come to mind once more. I see a beautiful city, a brilliant people rising from the abyss. I see the lives for which I lay down my life, peaceful, useful, prosperous, and happy. El Salvadoran Archbishop and Martyr Oscar Romero understood the power of this deep truth, and it gave him the courage to face a world that would take his own life and to say in its face, as a Christian, I do not believe in death without resurrection. 
If they kill me, I will rise again in the people of El Salvador. On March 24, 1980, Romero was assassinated as he stood behind the altar of a church in San Salvador celebrating Mass. As he lay dying on the chancel of that church, Romero's final words were, May God have mercy on those who have done this. Romero's words remind us of the love of which Jesus speaks that is not only just for those of us in the community of faith, but for the whole world. As the great Jewish scholar Abraham Joshua Heschel once wrote, the test of love is not how it relates to saints and scholars, but to rascals. Our world is filled with anger and hatred and so much mistrust these days. All too often we gaze at each other with suspicion and hostility, questioning whether someone is worthy of our time, our resources, or our respect. It's easy to hate others in the world today. One word, one action, one misstep can lead to an absolute evisceration at the hands of others. We live in fear, not just fear of others, but fear of ourselves. We live in terror that others might discover who we really are and find out that we are simply frail, fragile, fallible, fickle people. Jesus invites us to let go of our hatred, to let go of our fears, of our suspicions, to learn how to love again. Jesus invites us to return to this table with its simple meal that envisions a different world one where all people are welcome, where everyone has enough, where all fears and anxieties can melt away as we are embraced by a God who loves us as friends and who reminds us that we can and must love one another. The world is to be healed. Friends, let us come to this table. Let us be renewed in that vision. And let us resolve to love in spite of everything. Amen.